Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. We are continuing in our summer series called Practicing the Way of Jesus. So as we focus throughout this summer, we're focusing on the things that we notice in Jesus' life, the things that were uh, formational for Jesus, the things that he entered into frequently, and the things that he taught his disciples frequently about. And we're noticing how these then intersect, intersect and interact with our lives today. So the idea of spiritual formation, the the idea of the exercises we do in our faith that help us grow in our faith, that's what we're investigating here. Church, for many of us, for a lot of our experience, is a very heady thing. In other words, it seems to be a lot about knowledge delivery and knowledge acquisition, and then we move on, and that's about it. But... Newsflash, you're not just a head on a stick, you are a body, and you live your life in an embodied way, and we desire to live our faith in embodied ways. That's why we're calling these the practices of Jesus, because we hope to kind of discuss these and, sure, learn some things, but then take these home and try them out. Take these home and try them on Some of them may not fit in the way they're described. And that's okay, because we don't all work and operate the same. But the intention is that we're giving these a try, that we're giving these a a shot. And I know that uh, we all do this. But it's just encouragement to kind of get back to this square one on a lot of these practices. So last week, we wrapped up our four-part series on Sabbath, the idea of stopping and resting and finding delight, and finding worship in moments that just kind of step off the flywheel of our busy culture, right? We won't go through all of those in review. If you're interested, just go back and listen to those uh, podcasts, but uh, it was a very meaningful time. So I'm happy now to lead us into our next series, which seems basic. It's going to be on prayer. Many of us feel like we know what prayer is. We know all about it, right? But it's okay. We're going to kind of take this and peel off the layers of the onion and and take four weeks of discussing prayer in the way that Jesus presented it. You know, and I'd be willing to guess that even at this moment, as I mentioned the idea of prayer, some of you are kind of feeling good. Some of you are maybe feeling like, okay, I've got this figured out. But for some of you, maybe your heart's starting to race a little bit and your palms are starting to sweat because you just have a tense relationship with prayer. Maybe you feel some friction in your relationship with prayer. You know, and I get it. I get it. For, you know, many of us to describe our prayer life or at least seasons of prayer as maybe tense or, or strained or difficult would be maybe an understatement. You know, because... So many of us, you know, when we do find time to pray, we might actually, if we're honest with ourselves, recognize that it's kind of boring. 
<laughs> like, we're just kind of not into it. Or, you know, it can, I mean, even if we are honest enough, it can even feel like, well, what point is, what point is there? Does it really do any good? Does it make a difference after all? It can feel oftentimes that, you know, the distractions of our to-do lists, that the days that we're experiencing, you know, the things that we, um, you know, are running up against, you know, our challenges are even our, the good things that, you know, if we bring these things to prayer, what really, what difference does it really make? You know, Robert Mulholland kind of has this phrase about prayer that I like because I think it kind of captures this essence. You know, he says, for many of us, when we pray, it kind of feels like we're just worrying in God's direction, that we're just worrying in God's direction. Prayer can also can often feel like that, you know, that we're just talking to ourselves or reading a wish list to, you know, a mysterious provider in the sky and maybe and maybe they won't do anything about it. So we make excuses. You know, I've got young kids. I have no time to pray. Or I am super busy at work. I have no time to pray. You know, wherever it is. We maybe make excuses. But then, you know, we recognize this. We come to moments of tension and we feel a tinge of guilt because of the excuses. You know, for many of us, prayer is like eating our vegetables. We know it's good for us. We just don't like it. <laughs> you know, so let me normalize this for you. If this or anything like this has been a part of your experience, it's all right. You're not broken. We see you. It's fine. You know, learning to pray is an exercise. It's a practice that we all do. We don't just go out and run for 30 minutes straight and it feels great that first time. It's torture, you know, but we work up to it. You know, I can remember growing up, mom and dad's room was just off the hallway at the top of the stairs. And so anytime I was going to my bedroom, I had to pass their bedroom. And dad had his desk and his reading chair in their bedroom. It just kind of was the place that it landed. And almost on a daily basis, like in that kind of window after dinner time, if I was going up to my room, like the chances were really high that as I passed by mom and dad's room, I would see dad kneeling on his knees with his elbows resting in his chair, praying. You know, he wasn't showing off. It wasn't like... The door was closed all other times of the day, but he opened it, you know, when he prayed or vice versa. It's not like he was trying to hide it. He just was living out his routine. Sometimes, you know, I was a teenager, so sometimes in my angsty youth, I would scoff or shake my head at him praying or other times I'd kind of be kind of flooded with these thoughts of admiration for a dad who so effortlessly embodied his faith in a very real way. That image is just deeply sketched into my brain, even now. At the time, prayer for me, especially praying daily in a fixed time, you know, honestly, it was like a duty or maybe even to say of a drudgery to be avoided, you know? But it was clear 
to me that dad was experiencing something in prayer that I was not. Or he was just super disciplined. (laughs) Maybe both. You know, for dad, clearly prayer was not drudgery. It wasn't a duty. It was a delight. So whether you delight in and enjoy your prayer life, or whether you feel frustrated, unheard, unseen in your prayer, for all of us, you know, we live in one of the most difficult times of human history to pray, the distractions, the persistent things that kind of draw our attention away have only grown. You know, throughout history, we can look at ups and downs and wars and turmoils, and we can say, you know, history repeats itself. But one thing that for sure we have today that has never been is that smartphone, the death blow to prayer for a generation as we learn to live a new way, a new way to live with things that kind of can pull our attention away just at a little chirp or even a vibration. So if you struggle to pray, it's okay. You're not alone. St. Teresa of Avila says, when it comes to prayer, we're all beginners. And yet we have to acknowledge that prayer is a key portal to our connection with God. Prayer is vital. It's a lifeline for us with God, with Jesus, with the Spirit. It's a key to the life that we crave of a deeper meaning, deeper foundation in our faith. It is the key. So whether we identify it as a desire or a drudgery or... Perhaps we misidentify it as something else. We want to tackle prayer for a couple of weeks here and just kind of take a look in deeper at what Jesus has to say about prayer. Before we open the word today, let us pray. Most merciful God, in this moment of stillness, wash us clean of our presumptions. Receive us as your children. Then, by the power of your spirit, bless us with the word that revives us today. We pray this in the name of Jesus, your living word. Amen. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 8 today. This will be on the screens for you. Please follow along as we read the word. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Did that match? Mostly? Okay, good. I just saw something up there that was different. Good. So that's how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Teach us to pray. That's even an interesting question that they had for Jesus, wasn't it? Jesus did all sorts of amazing things in his ministry. But the disciples did not ask, teach us to heal the sick, teach us to cast out demons, or to perform miracles. They asked him, 
teach us how to pray. Have you ever thought about that? One common theory among Bible scholars is that for Jesus' disciples, living with Jesus 24-7, watching him in his daily prayer life, they realized that Jesus had this extraordinary outer ministry with people that was a byproduct of an even more extraordinary inner life with God, much like me watching my dad. He was exemplifying this inner life with God and that everything else he experienced was kind of an outflow of that. Clearly, Jesus is the Son of God, God made flesh, but we cannot forget that becoming flesh, he subjugated himself to the same limitations and boundaries that you and I face daily in our flesh. Jesus had to choose to pray. Jesus had to choose to enter into this activity. He needed to work at his union with God. And any outcomes that came from his ministry were a result of this deep personal history that Jesus himself had with the Father. Disciples were smart enough to know that Jesus was experiencing something in prayer that they perhaps hadn't always experienced. Prayer was not a drudgery or a duty. For Jesus, it was a delight. He enjoyed his father's company. In prayer, Jesus was drinking from and replenishing a deep well. And this water is the water that the disciples desired. Have you ever felt that longing? Have you felt that longing for a deep connection? Maybe you've seen it in other people. And you've felt or you've desired that same thing in yourselves. One thing we've come to know is that, you know, this comes through personal communion, personal connection with God. And one of the key components of this is prayer. And if you're, a, if you're ready to apprentice at the school of Jesus, at the school of prayer that Jesus teaches, then we need to pay close attention to what Jesus believes and says about prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, say. This might be a more familiar version for you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Protestants call this the Lord's Prayer. Catholics may call it the, all, the Our Father, but this is an historic prayer that people have been praying for centuries. And while it is a liturgy, in other words, it is a pre-made prayer, it's a prescribed prayer, it's also a theology that Jesus gives in orienting ourselves to prayer. It's a way of coming before God. A lot of people equate prayer with asking God for things, right? We have our prayer lists, and it's our duty to go through the prayer list each day. But asking, but while asking is key to prayer, there's much more to prayer. And this theology of prayer that Jesus gives us reveals that. Notice that Jesus doesn't begin with asking for things. He begins asking for things midway through, and he does this in a, in a unique way. The entire first half of the prayer is worship, it's honor, it's testimony. So, diving deeper into this prayer, let's notice the theological truths of the Lord's Prayer. 
and how Jesus says this is the framework for our prayer. So first, God is our trusted, loving Father. When Jesus says, our Father, in Aramaic, he's saying, Abba. You've probably heard this before if you've been around the church very long, but this is what a child would call their father, daddy, essentially. And in Jesus' day, this was kind of revolutionary, a, a revolutionary way to address God. The, the New Testament scholar, Joachim Jeremiah, says, there's not a single example of the use of Abba as an address to God in the whole Jewish literature until Jesus presents it to us in the Lord's Prayer. Yet it was Jesus' go-to name for God. He thought of God as his father, and he taught his disciples to do the same. I know this is kind of hard for some of us, because, frankly, some of us have pretty rotten relationships with our fathers. Perhaps your father was not someone good, not someone you could trust. But for Jesus, what comes to mind when you think about God will make or break your prayer life. John Tyson from Pray New York City or Church of the City New York puts it this way. For many of us, unless we break the strongholds of false images of God that come to mind, we'll never be drawn into a deep prayer life. You know, it sounds extreme, but for many of us, our journey into a deeper life in prayer must begin with healing from false images or damage that our earthly fathers presented. This is difficult, and it doesn't happen immediately. And when it doesn't happen immediately, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It simply means that we need to work on this. And it comes through time spent before Jesus. It comes through gathering at this table. It comes through opening up to one another and just being honest. For many of us, this is, this is it. This is all we need to hear today is that we need to work on our daddy issues. <laughs> and that's hard. You know, I'm not trying to make a joke of it. Hmm. I still remember what it was like when I came home as a kid. Well, when I came home from work when my kids were little, that's what I meant to say. When I would come home from work and the kids were little, you know, the kids, you know, would meet me at the door, but they didn't like piously say, oh, father, we're so grateful that you're home. We've long anticipated your return. <laughs> After a short respite, perhaps we could enact you or entreat you to share the finer details of our day. It was chaos. Like, I came through the door, and it was like a pack of rats or something <laughs> were released. You know, they just bombarded me with affection and excitement, until screaming and shouting about the thing they had been doing or the toy that they had been playing with. Pretty quickly, they were bouncing up and down, asking to play some of our favorite games, Monster Fight or Punt the Run. Punt the run. Um, if you'd like, some of you, I can explain what Monster Fight and Punt the Runt are. Those are great games. But um, the point is this, that despite all of my personal shortcomings as a human or even as a dad, my kids knew they could trust me and that my heart towards them was love. 
My heart towards them was openness. They knew that I would always have a welcoming heart and good intentions towards them. So the first thing that Jesus teaches us about prayer is that the God we come before, the God that we pray to, has a welcoming heart and good intentions towards you. The primary emotion word, or the primary emotional word used for God in both the New Testament and the Old Testaments is rakum. In Hebrew, it means compassionate. And in its Hebrew meaning, it describes a feeling that a parent has towards their children, compassion. More specifically, it's the emotion that is most often ascribed to a mother towards their infant child, compassion. This is the word describing God's heart towards us. That's God's baseline for you. Compassion, compassionate, tender care. Second, God is as close to you as the air that you breathe. Our Father in heaven, this phrase, in heaven, you know, read the footnotes in your Bible and you'll see that Luke's version of the prayer is mirrored in Matthew. You know, but some ancient manuscripts in, like include the longer version here, even in Luke. And it includes this locational reference of God in heaven. Heaven is a tricky word, you know, as we transcribe or translate that through into our English. And most people think of heaven as this place, Right? this far-off place in which God is. Perhaps this far-off place in which we who have life in God may have eternal life. But for now, it's this kind of other place, and it's unreachable. But while there is some truth in kind of that idea, in Greek from the passage, the word is erroneous, which is actually plural, meaning heavens. More literally, it means the atmosphere or the air. So hear it this way. Our Father, in the air I breathe. Hallowed be your name. Think about it. Air, obviously, the atmosphere is constantly in, in and around us. It's touching us. This is God. This is God's nearness to us. Up against our skin, inside our body, in your blood. This is how close God and his availability is. Jesus is teaching his apprentices that when we come to the Father in prayer, that he's not far away, that we don't have to like kind of do this some sort of incantation to help bridge the gap because he can't hear us. He's far away. He's there immediately that we open our hearts to him. God is in the air we breathe. The third thing that Jesus hopes his disciples would learn is that the first goal of prayer is worship and enjoyment of the Father's company. Hallowed be your name. This is kind of reminiscent of our sermon last week on worship. But hallow means to revere something. It means to recognize the holiness of something. You'll remember that word holy, kadash, from last week. It means something that's set apart, special, beautiful. So to say that God is holy is to say that there is no other being in the cosmos more special or other or radiant, beautiful than God. Tim Keller, in his book, 
writes, to hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy towards God and even more, a wondrous sense of his beauty. When we start our prayer, we commune with God and you begin to enter into this inner space, this kind of recognition. Like as we pray, we begin to open our eyes and our ears and our, our attention, our experience up to what God has and always has been directly present and directly holy. We learn to enter into that space. Jesus is demonstrating that loving God in worship is the core of prayer. We know that prayer is worship and adoration, but we, but you know, if we think about Jesus's approach here, it kind of helps frame the way we approach our prayers. Often, we come to God to get the things that we need from him. <laughs> that way, we can kind of feel happy and feel contented, right? This is one of the reasons that we tend to mostly pray when our health or our career or our relationships or our loved ones, our life circumstances are under threat. Our prayer life usually goes way up when we break a bone, <laughs> Right? But Jesus is trying to encourage us that, yes, God wants to hear about those broken bones. But it's good for us to hallow God's name as we pray. If that's the extent of our prayer, then it's a sign of our heart. It's a sign of kind of an immaturity that we have in our faith. And that we still find most of our meaning, most of our happiness outside of God. If our relationship with him is mostly our prayer list. For Jesus, the goal of prayer is to enter into the beauty and the satisfaction and the peace of God. And four, the fourth thing Jesus is teaching. Our prayers really do make a difference. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to spend some special time with this one in a week to come. But notice that Jesus assumes that the kingdom has not fully come, that his will is not fully being done. In part, yes, but not in full. And Jesus assumes that through our prayer, we partner with God in order to bend reality in the direction of God's good intentions. That by praying, we can draw the future age of the kingdom of God into our present circumstances, into the here and now. This can be a tough one for us because often we've all experienced this, no matter how deep or perhaps how simple your prayer life is. You've all prayed for something and you felt like it didn't happen. Meanwhile, you've all heard someone tell a story of, I prayed for this and look what happened right? We're going to spend some time in this tension, but Jesus clearly states that as we pray, we can draw the future age, the future reality of God's kingdom into our circumstances. For now, know this, as Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray, his first step was to ensure that they were all on the same page about how to pray. He gave them these four examples. He gave them this prescribed prayer. When Jesus teaches us to pray, 
Notice this. He doesn't start by just saying, hey, whatever's on your mind, just start having a conversation with God. That's not what Jesus did when his disciples asked them, him to teach them to pray. There's nothing wrong with this activity of prayer. We all pray this, probably this is our go-to for most of us. But when they asked Jesus, how do we pray? Jesus said, say this, say it like this. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight argues that this can be traded when you, translated, when you pray, recite these words. In other words, Jesus gave them a prescribed prayer. Jesus is, in, is tapping into the first century Jewish custom of praying memorized prayers, of praying a pre-made prayer. This is what we mean when we talk about praying to God, as our, our sermon title for today is. When we pray to God, we pray prescribed prayers often. Pre-made prayers, a prayer that someone else wrote. In this case, Jesus created this prayer for his followers. But across the traditions of Scripture and across the traditions of the church, praying prescribed prayers is nothing new. This is common experience. Here's a few examples of pre-made prayers. Of course, as we've been describing, praying the Lord's Prayer. It's the most famous in the New Testament, the most known, and it's prayed by many Christians three times a day, praying the Our, Our Father. But second, the Psalms, the entire book of Psalms is a prayer book. It's the prayer book of the Jewish people. So praying the Psalms is an activity of praying, of praying by reading through those scriptures. All of scripture, for that matter, can be prayed. Most people, many people, find a great life of prayer in, in simply turning scripture into a prayer. Maybe they read a passage and they read it again as a prayer. You know, reading scripture is prayer. Singing is an example of pre-made prayers. We sang four of them this morning. There's four pre-made prayers that we all entered into and we just added music to them. <laughs> There's obvious power in praying to music. It connects with us in a whole body experience, doesn't it? St. Augustine famous, famously said, when you sing, it's to pray twice. We don't think of hymns or modern music as liturgical, but it is. It's a pre-written prayer that draws us into God's heart. Finally, there are other liturgies. We encounter pre-made prayers around here many weeks. Many of these are sourced from historic streams of the church, such as the Book of Common Prayer, the Liturgy of the Hours. You know, there's many examples of great literature that are essentially books of prayer. A Guide to Prayer, it's a book series called A Guide to Prayer. These are wonderful. So tapping into these books of pre-made prayers is another way that we can experience praying to God. And then we kind of griped about it earlier, but our phones are a great way that we can enter into prayer. There are some amazing apps for your phone that allow you to uh, connect with God in prayer. This is a great tool. So there's a great wealth of many ways that we can tap into these pre-made prayers as we learn to commune with God. But why start here? Why start with pre-made prayers? Why not just start with extemporaneously praying as we're most accustomed, as we've probably heard demonstrated for most of us in our lives? 
Of course, it's wonderful to pray this way. And if you do pray this way, don't stop. <laughs> That's not what I'm trying to say. But here's some great ways why these pre-written prayers, these pre-made prayers are helpful for us. First, think of how children learn to read and write. They learn by tracing letters. They learn by copying and mimicking. So enacting with these pre-made prayers is a great way for us to begin to learn to pray. Second, they provide valuable rhythm and structure that many of us need as we're learning to pray, especially when we uh, may be experiencing busy seasons or seasons of travel or whatever. You know, having a, a prayer book that we can turn to might help our minds enter into prayer more deeply. Three, they give us language. They provide us new words, new ways of expressing the things that maybe we felt, but we haven't been able to really articulate before, especially when we're in those seasons, those busy seasons of life, or perhaps we're in a season of deep distress and, you know, our mind just can't focus on prayer. So these pre-written prayers help. Fourth, they're a great way to enter into a longer, a greater a history of articulation of prayer that has been prayed throughout the centuries. As we see these new ways of expressing gratitude and worship to God. And fifth, probably maybe the most helpful, they're valuable for us when we find ourselves in these moments which St. John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul. The season where we just don't feel God's presence. Sometimes we just need to enter into God's presence through these prayers. And then we not start to notice our heart and our mind being shifted as these prayers have drawn us in. So there are limitations in pre-made prayers. It can feel impersonal or inauthentic or overly intellectual for some. But it's very important to recognize, even when we use these pre-made prayers, these resources like this, it's vital for us to recognize that this is prayer and to slow down and to bring our heart's intention into these words, even if we didn't write them. Otherwise, this prayer will remain kind of rote or soulless. When we open our heart to God fully, even in written prayers, we tap into uh, the power that's been running underneath the surface of the kingdom from the beginning of creation. We're praying by joining with the community of the saints and adding our voice to the millions around the world all throughout history. Pre-made prayers are a scaffolding for us. So as we begin in this series of the practice of prayer, the invitation for you this week is to find moments in which you can enact with these pre-made prayers throughout scripture. This coming week, Find times in which you can set aside and enter into these prayers. In your worship notes, as you've been seeing, I'm sure, on this third page, it says practicing prayer. And it gives a couple of thoughts for you. First, create a daily prayer rhythm. Decide on a time and a place in which you can pray. A time and place that might be consistent for you. For many years, for me, it was during my commute to work. I had a 30-minute set-aside time that came at the same time every day, and it was the, the best time for me. 
So find that, that time. Don't overreach if, you know, you're kind of growing your prayer muscles. Start with five or ten minutes. Maybe grow into 15 minutes. But create a rhythm, a routine, a ritual in which you can experience prayer. Find ways that make it exciting, enticing. Maybe you find a special spot. Maybe you like to pray by journaling. Find something that makes it enticing. The second, pick out a pre-made prayer and use it to talk with God, to talk to God. Try using the sources I mentioned, the Lord's Prayer, Psalms. There's a few recommendations in here, Psalms by category or by theme. Praying other passages of scripture, singing, liturgy, the, the Book of Common Prayer, the Divine Hours, a guide to prayer by Reuben Job. Or apps like the Lectio 365, Pray As You Go, or Hollow. These are all great resources for you. But ultimately, may we recognize that union is at the core of Jesus' own prayer life. That union is what Jesus taught his disciples. We see this in John 17 when Jesus is praying for us, praying for his disciples and all followers throughout history. He says, Father, just as I am in you and you are in me, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus' desire is that we experience union with the Father. So may we, may you begin to experience a deeper communion with God this week in prayer. May you experience deeper levels of intimacy, worship, and adoration, understanding of God's heart towards you and towards the world. May you find form and helpful structure in discovering the historic prayers throughout Scripture and throughout Christian faith. And may you grow in love and freedom in your prayers as you speak to God this week. And as we humbly say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Amen.